0: CHAPTER Eleven OF SLAVE PLANET BY LAWRENCE M. Janifer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The work went on, for Cadnan as well as for the masters. Days passed and he began to improve slightly. He received no further discipline and he was beginning to settle into a routine. Only thoughts of Dara disturbed him. Those, and the presence of Marver, who was still apparently waiting to make good his incomprehensible threat. Marver had said he was going to leave, but he still appeared every evening in the same room. Cadnan had hardly dared to question him, for fear of being drawn into the plan, whatever it was. He could only wait and watch and wish for someone to talk to. But of course, there was no one. And then one day, during the first part of his working shift, a master came into the room the very master who had gone with Cadnan through his training. "'You're Cadnan?' he asked. Cadnan said, "'I am Cadnan.' The master beckoned through the open door of Cadnan's working-room, and two more masters appeared—strange ones—leading between them an elder. The elder, Cadnan saw at once, had lived through many matings. The green skin of his arms was turning to silver, and his eye was no longer bright, but dulling fast with age. He looked at the working room and at the young Albert with blank caution. "'This one is called Gornum, the master said. "'He'll be with you when you work. He's going to help you work. You can teach him all he has to know. Just make sure you don't let him handle the buttons until we give you the word. All right?' Cadnan understood. "'All right,' he said, and the three masters left the room without more words. The door shut behind them and gornham visibly relaxed yet there was still wariness behind the old eye i work in the field he said after a second i am good worker in the field cadnan knew from gossip about the field that was the place where the metal lay albert's worked there digging it up and bringing it to the buildings where cadnan and many like him took over the job He nodded slowly, bending his body from the waist instead of from the neck, like the Master's, or Marver. ''If you are in the field,'' he said, ''why do you come here? This is not a place for diggers.'' ''I am brought here,'' Gornham said. ''I am an elder many times. What the Master's say, I do. Now they say I come here, and I come.'' Cadnan looked doubtful. ''You want to work with me?'' so the master say that was unanswerable and cadnan accepted it he flicked a glance at the tv screen which showed him the smelting process and leaped for the buttons after a few minutes of action he was finished there was a slight breathing space i have to tell you what to do he said gornham looked grave i see what it is you do he said it is a lesson when you act for the masters the great machines obey you it is true cadnan said this is the lesson gornam said slowly as if it were truly important we are shown the machines so that we may learn to be like the machines when the master tells us what to do we are to do it there is nothing else cadnan thought about that it made sense it made a structure he could understand and it made the world a less confusing place you have said a truth he judged at last it is one of many truths gornham said and that was an invitation cadnan recognized he hesitated no more than a second where may i learn the others but gornham didn't answer and cadnan's breathing space was over he had to be back at the board pushing buttons watching carefully. Gornham stood behind him, peering over his shoulder with a cloudy eye. Neither said a word until the new spell of work was over. Then Cadnan repeated his question. It is not for all, Gornham said distantly. One must be chosen. You have come to me, Cadnan said. You have been sent to me. Is this what you call chosen? It was the right answer perhaps the only right answer Gornham pretended to consider the matter for a minute but his mind was already made up we are above you on the floor over yours he said when our work is finished i will take you there cadnan imagined a parade of new truths a store of knowledge that would lay all his questions to rest and leave him as after a meal entirely satisfied he went back to work and contemplated the first of the truths. He was to be like the machine. He promised himself he would try to imitate the machine, doing only what the masters ordered, and for the rest of that day, indeed, life seemed to make perfect, common sense. But after all, Gornham was only an elder, and not a master. He could be wrong. THE DOUBT APPEARED AT THE END OF THE DAY But by then Gornham had the younger Albert in tow. They took the elevator up one flight and went to Gornham's room. The novelty of all this excited Cadnan so that he nearly forgot his new doubts. They shrank perceptibly, without disappearing altogether. Gornham opened the door of the new room. Inside, Cadnan saw six elders sitting in a circle on the floor. The circle, incomplete was open toward the door, and all six big eyes were staring at the newcomers. The floor was nearly bare. The leaves had been brushed into mounds that lay in the corners. Without a word, Gornham sat in the circle and motioned Cadnan to a place beside him. Moving slowly and uncertainly, Cadnan came forward and sat down. There was a second of absolute silence. One of the other elders said, you bring a new one to us i bring a new one gornham said the other elder leaning forward from the waist peered at cadnan his eye was larger than normal and glittering cold cadnan awestruck neither spoke nor moved and the elder regarded him for a time and then said abruptly not all are called to the truth he has been called gornham said he has been chosen how is he chosen Gornham explained when he had finished a silence thick as velvet descended upon the room then very suddenly all the elders spoke at once
1: may the masses live forever
0: cadnan by this time was nearly paralyzed with fright he sat very still the elders continued in a slow leaden chorus May the masters live forever. May the words live forever. May the lessons live forever.
1: May the truths
0: live forever. Then the velvet silence came down again, but the words rang through it faintly until Gornham broke the spell with speech. The young one has come to learn. He has come to know the truths. He looked around at the others and then went on his name is cadnan he wishes to have your names let him have your names the elder who had spoken first identified himself as lonak the others gave their names in order dalor puna grudak burlog mantun cadnan stared with fascinated eyes at puna who was older than anyone he had ever seen his skin was nearly all white and in the dim room it seemed to have a faint shine his voice was very high and thin like a wind sighing in tall tree branches cadnan shivered but didn't take his eye from Puna until as if at a signal all the elders rose awkwardly then cadnan rose with them again confused and still frightened he saw gornham raise his hands over his head and chant all are the masters all the others repeated the words wise are the masters cadnan this time repeated the phrase with the elders good are the masters when the antiphon had been delivered Gornham waited a full second and then fell prostrate to the floor the others followed his example except cadnan who afraid to let himself fall on bare metal Crouched down slowly instead. "'Weak are the slaves,' Gornham whispered. The answer was a whisper, too. "'Small Small are are the slaves,' slaves, the others whispered. "'They are like small ones all the days of their lives, and only the masters are elders.' "'The masters are elders.' "'As the machine obeys,' Gornham said, so the slave obeys as the tree obeys so the slave obeys as the metal obeys so the slave obeys as the ground obeys so the slave obeys so the slave obeys then there was silence again not as profound as before through it, Cadden could hear the others whispering, but he couldn't quite catch their words. He was later told what praying was, though he never had a chance to practice it. And then everyone returned to the original circle and squatted. In what was almost a normal tone, Gornham said, Here is our new one. He must be told. Puna himself rose. I will tell him and cadnan frightened by the very look of the elder could do nothing but follow him as he beckoned and went to a corner near a mound of leaves the others scattered were eating cadnan picked up a leaf but puna took it gently out of his hand we do not eat until it is over he said quietly cadnan accepted this without words and puna told him the legend During the entire tale, Cadnan, stock still, didn't even think of interrupting. At first, his attention wandered to the leaves, but as Puna's voice went on, he listened more and more closely, and even his fright began to leave him under the legend's fascination. Long ago, the Masters come to the world, sent by the Great Elder. We are no more than children. We do not work. We do nothing except eat and sleep and live out our lives in the world. The great elder makes us the gift of talking and the gift of trees, and he makes the rules of the trees. Then he does nothing more for us. First we must become more than children, more than small ones. For this he sends the masters. The masters are good because they show us work and give us machines that have power our power is over the masters because of the machines but we may not use such power they are elder to us they are wiser than we are only when we become so wise we use power against them and in that day master and slave are one In that day the great elder returns to his small ones. In this time there is the work, and the work makes us always more like the masters. We live in the buildings like masters. We work with machines like masters. We do what the masters say. Soon we are all the same. No one can tell when we are like masters in all things. We know of it when the great elder returns to us. All must watch and wait for that day. In this time we only remember, and tell ourselves the truths over and over. There are many truths, and some I cannot speak. Here are the others. The masters are our elders the machines are under obedience to us while we obey the masters the great elder wishes our obedience to the masters if we disobey the masters the machines and the trees will not obey us and there will be no more work and no small ones for this is the order of the world some obeying and some to be obeyed it is visible and plain When the chain is broken, all the chain breaks. Puna paused and then repeated the last sentence. When the chain is broken, all the chain breaks. It is true, Cadnan said excitedly. It is true. Yet there is more truth. There is, Puna said soberly. We meet again in five days' time. I can count five days, and so the others will know, and you will know. At this next meeting you will be told more truths. His smile was thin and distant. Now eat. Cadnan reached numbly for a leaf and, without thinking, began to nibble. The world had been set in order. He had no more questions now. Instead, he felt empty spaces, waiting to be filled with the great knowledge of Puna and of Gornham and all the others at the next meeting, and at other meetings after that. He put that thought away. It was too much and too large. The one certain thing was that in five days' time, whenever that was, he would know more. In five days, they would all meet again he hoped five days was not that long as matters turned out of course he need not have worried the meeting he was waiting for never happened and after that there were no more meetings at all public opinion three being excerpts from memo directives sent between executives of associated metallic products limited a corporation having its main offices within dome two Luna City, Luna, and associated offices on all three inhabited planets. The memo directives being dated between May 14th and May 21st, in the year of the Confederation, 210. To John Harrison, from Frederick Ramsbotham, Re, Metal Supplies and Shipment it having come to my attention that the process of metal shipment is in danger because of a threat to the materials and procurement divisions of amp limited i wish to advise you as current chairman of the board of the nature of the emergency and request your aid in drawing up plans to deal with it according to reports from our outside operatives and such statistical checking as we have been able to use in a matter of this nature There exists a strong possibility that present procurement procedures regarding our raw materials may at any moment be abrogated by act of the Confederation government. The original motive for this action would seem to be a rising tide of public unrest, sparked apparently by chance disclosure of our procurement procedures. That the public unrest may very soon reach the point at which Confederation notice, and hence, Confederation action may be taken, is the best judgment both of our outside operatives and of our statistical department. In order to deal with this unprecedented emergency, it would be advisable to have your thoughts on the matter. With these in hand, to Fred Ramsbotham, from John Harrison, re, your memo, May 14th. My God, Fred, I haven't seen such a collection of verbiage since Latin class. Why not say what you mean? People are calling the setup on Froiling's world slavery. And slavery is a nasty word. Let's get together for a talk. And what's with the high-sounding guff? You sound sore about something. What? 2. James Oliver Gogarty From Leonard Offutt we, Statistical Findings The situation is serious, J.O., and there's no getting around it. If the government has to take action, there's only one way, given current majorities, they're going to be able to move, and that's to declare Freiling's world a protectorate or some such. Get your lawyers to straighten out the terminology. In plain and simple English, a ward of the state and administer the place for the best interests of the natives. Get that, the natives. Never mind us. Never mind AMP. Never mind the metals we need. No, the government will step in and take all that away from us in the interests of a bunch of silly, green-looking monsters who can barely talk and can't, as near as I can see, think at all. Statistics don't give us much of a chance of heading them off. As a matter of fact, any recommended course of action has better than a 50% chance of making matters even worse. And if you don't think they can be worse, take a look at the attached sheet, which... To John Harrison. From Frederick Ramsbotham. Re. Your memo, May 15th. Have you never heard of the Confederation impounding records? Or those memos, for instance. To Fred Ramsbotham, from John Harrison, re your memo May fifteenth. Have you never heard of A.M.P. burning them? You silly damn fool! Now let's get together for a talk. To James Oliver Gogarty, from Gregory Whiting and staff, re. Your Memo, May 17th Pressure put on Confederation executives and members of the Senate might convince the Confederation that, without a fight, Freiling's world would not surrender to Confederation control. It might not be advisable to begin such a fight. Even with modern methods of transport and training, the weapons gap between the Confederation and Freiling's world is a severe handicap. In other words, J.O., If it came to a showdown, the people here don't think we stand a fair chance of coming out on top. You'd better rethink your position, then. To James Oliver Gogarty from John Harrison. Re. Freiling's World. Interoffice guff says you're planning definite moves on your own, J.O., and against some opposition. I'm still chairman of the board around here. And I intend to use power if I have to. The best advice I can get tells me your plans are unadvisable. Get it through your head that this has nothing to do with the board elections. This is a serious matter. I can stop you, J.O., and don't think I won't if it comes to that. But I don't want to make threats. There must be something we can do. But we're going to have to devote more thought to the whole matter first. 2. James Oliver Gogarty, From Leonard Offutt Re-statistical findings Chances of such pressure succeeding are, according to derived figures, 37%. Chances of the pressure leading to actual attack on Freiling's World, see attached sheet, are 58%. We cannot advise... 2. Frederick Ramsbotham From James Oliver Gogarty re, Attached Statistical Findings Of course it's a risk, Frederick, but we're in the risk-taking business. And we always were, as your father used to say, and mine too. Between us, John is a cautious old man, and the rest of the board is beginning to appreciate that. By next year, the entire situation may have changed. I'm asking for your support then, as a matter of practical politics. In a risky matter like this one, support can make all the difference between... To James Oliver Gogarty from John Harrison. Re, my memo, May 19th. J-O, I mean it. Now lay off. To Williston Reed from John Harrison. Re, current memo series. As you know, I'm keeping you up to date whenever I have a minute between appointments. A publicity chief ought to know everything, inside as well as public issue material, if only so he can be conscious of what to hide. I've tried to work with you as well as I can, and if there are delays in reporting, you'll understand that pressure of other duties... The story behind all of this is simple enough. The takeover Gogarty and Ramsbotham have been trying to pull is interfering with practical business. Frankly, AMP's competitors are happy enough to jump in and stir the pot. I think they've been buying up senators here and there. For which there is, God knows, enough precedent. The entire Senate hasn't been bought since the Dedrick Mutiny forty years back, but you don't need the entire Senate if you have a few key men and I've always thought Dedrick's lawyers were wasteful. And beyond what the competition's been active in, there are always the fanatics. Freedom for all, you know the sort of thing. Now, the big danger is that if R and G succeed in keeping things messed up, the rest of the metals boys will step in, push the government into the right moves, and kill Froing's world deader than Dedrick himself. Which according to the statistical breakdown, won't put us into the bankruptcy courts, but will slide us from a first or second spot to a ninth or tenth one. The big question is whether you'd rather be a small frog in a big puddle or the reverse. Me, I'd rather be a big frog in a big puddle than any other combination I can think of. And in spite of everything, I think I'm going to go on being just that. Freuling's World has been around for a long time, but the current A.M.P. fight gives the competition the opportunity they need, and they're pushing it. If we can weather the storm... Well, I'm being gloomy. Of course we can weather the storm. I'll swing Gogarty back, and that will leave Ramsbotham nowhere to go. To John Harrison From Frederick Ramsbotham Re. Freiling's World Support of the suggestion put forward by Mr. Gogarty at the last board meeting was not, believe me, given without grave consideration. Now that the matter has been decided, I hope we can all pull together like teammates and let the dead past bury its dead. I'm sure that... To Fred Ramsbotham, from John Harrison, re, your memo, May 21st. I'm worrying a little more about burying some of the currently living, our own men, on Freiling's World. I've got to ask you to reconsider. 2. All new services for immediate release. From Williston Reed. As almost his first act on taking his position as Chairman of the Board of Associated Metallic Products Limited. Frederick Ramsbotham today issued a statement of policy regarding interference by Confederation governmental officials in what he termed the private business of AMP. Mr. Ramsbotham, whose recent election came as a surprise to many shareholders, has stated his intention of remaining firm in continuance of present policies, regardless of what he described as threats from Confederation officials. He states that his duty to shareholders of AMP must include protection of the private and profit-making enterprise being carried on at Froyling's World, and that such private concerns are not the business of public government. As former chairman of the board, John Harrison was asked to comment on the position taken by Mr. Ramsbotham. Mr. Harrison stated that he disagreed with the particular stand taken by Mr. Ramsbotham in this matter, but sympathized with his strong feelings of duty towards the shareholders of the concern. Confederation response was reported to be immediate and strong by sources high in the government, but as yet, no final word has been received regarding what action, if any, is contemplated. 2. Frederick Ramsbotham. From John Harrison Subject, The Daily Paper Now you've torn it. Unless you think we can make money selling weapons to be used against our own people on Froyling's World. I've sold out my shares as of this morning, Fred. I'm through. I think you are, too, whether you know it or not just yet. End of Chapter 11